0: Hey everybody, it's Justin Shackle welcoming you into Towing the Slab, Pitching with David Cohn. It is episode 12 this week. It's a holiday week and it's finally draft week here, guys. David's with us, James Smythe with us, our producer Dan Rourke participating in this draft as well. Uh, David, you've migrated south as we freeze our, our tails off of, uh, back in the New York area, but it's, it's draft day. Are we ready?
1: Yes, let's go. We've been talking about this one for a while.
0: So we have the draft coming up. We're also talking with Dr. Meredith Wills later on in the program. And that's really good if you are interested in the physical baseballs, the actual composition of baseballs. There is a recent report coming out about how there were two different baseballs being used in 2021 and a lot of good stuff from uh, from Dr. Wills as well. So that's going to be coming up after this draft. David, what do you have for us for this week with the opener?
1: Well, you know, we sort of predicated this, this Towing the Slab podcast on kind of the old school, new school mentality covering both areas. You know, if you're an old school baseball fan, you know, we'll talk you off the ledge in the new game. If you're a new guy, we, we'll, give you some, we'll give you some good information that you might not know as well. But interesting to me, Buck Showalter hired as the manager of the Mets, considered an old school guy, uh, but he's always been an information hound. Uh, I think uh, he's much more receptive now than he ever has been to the new school and all, all the technology that's out there. I think the key to pay attention to is who's his coaching staff, how they round this out. If they give him a progressive young bench coach, like a Joe Espada, or even uh, talks of bringing Carlos Beltran back as his bench coach. So it's going to be interesting to see how that coaching staff rounds out. And believe me, everybody in the industry is paying attention to this because everybody wants to know, you know, with the success of dusty Baker last year, and you know, obviously uh some of the guys that uh, have been around a while on the manager side, Buck Showalter is a, a trendsetter and somebody to watch this year for the Mets.
0: It's interesting when you put it that way. Do you think this kind of, in, in order for maybe the scouting sector of the industry to kind of boomerang back, do you think this needs to work? There's a lot riding on a, a move or, or a direction toward Buck Showalter in that regard.
1: Yeah, I think everybody's seeking that balance. You know, there's no doubt that uh, as the technology came into play in a hurry, you know, these high speed cameras and a lot of this new technology is under 10 years old, or at least it's been implemented less than 10 years. So there was a rush to catch up, and that marginalized a lot of the old school baseball guys, the lifers, the scouts, the coaches have been marginalized. But somebody like Buck Schulte is kind of a somebody you can hang your hat on if you're an old school baseball guy and somebody you could, you could kind of pull for and, uh, and watch too and see how it works because baseball is a copycat sport like most sports. And if it works, people are going to copy it. So that's why I say he's probably maybe one of the most important people to watch in the industry this year is how Buck Showalter does as manager of the Mets.
0: Arguably the, the best situation he's stepping into in his time as a manager as well between the uh, the four previous stops that he had Uh, in in the majors dating back to 1992 going up with the, with the Yankees as a manager there. Okay. Draft season. A lot of people on John boy media are having drafts here. We saw a a reliever draft not too long ago the other week with Jerry Blevins, Uh, John boy and Jake, they're doing some Yankee related drafts on, on talking Yanks. We've had this in the works though for a while here. And it is the toe and the slap. You know what? just, made the executive decision it is the first annual towing the slab pitch draft so this is going to be a theme moving forward probably around this time each year we're going up and and we're shopping we're, we're trying to construct the perfect pitcher with the four best pitches for a starter and for a reliever, the two best pitches for a relief pitcher we have that that was that, that's basically the the must know criteria right there correct
1: absolutely it's like it's like you're going to a christmas store you know or, or you know a, you know any kind of store and you're shopping for pitches you know fastball sliders curves change up splitters individual pitches that's what we're going for here
0: all right so here's where it gets interesting and here's all the rules so you have a six round snake draft the four of us are constructing these these two pitchers essentially each of us needs to fill four pitches like we mentioned for example i may want a starting pitcher's arsenal to Look like Jacob DeGrom's fastball and Robbie Ray's slider, coupled with Adam Wainwright's curveball and Shohei Otani's uh, splitter. So I may choose my relief pitcher, their arsenal, to be Devin Williams's changeup and Garrett Whitlock's fastball. Now, what we can't do is draft. Jacob de fastball and then Jacob de Gram's slider, if it's still available. You can only have one pitch from one pitcher. So we have a couple of subcategories as well. There's the fastball genre falling under that, cutters, four seamers, two seamers, sinkers. And then for changeups, splitters will also be associated with, with the changeup. And we're going to be making our picks. And this is where it gets really interesting because maybe some conventional wisdom will go out the door here. We are making our picks with the information based on what pitches we believe will have the most run value in 2022. So that's something that we're going to be monitoring throughout the season. And then, hey, at the at the end of the regular season, the person with the highest totals will, will pick a spot to eat next fall. The rest of us are going to be paying the tab, and they can declare themselves the pitch draft champion. So. We also want everyone out there listening to offer immediate reaction. In the meantime, right? You were able to, to pick who you think had the best draft in, you know, maybe the comment section on the YouTube stream, or we post it on social media. Draft order here, guys. We're doing this the old school way. I have names in a jar. Taking them out, and I'm gonna put them up to the camera. Make sure that you know. So this is this is James right here. And, yes, I do write very poorly. That's myself. We have Dan Rourke. By the way, if you're not following Dan Rourke and you're part of Yankee's Twitter,
2: you're doing it wrong. Because, Bro, funny you mention that because this going into this, I wanted to be as little Yankee boy as possible. So let me just say, unless you guys mess up my draft, <laughs> I should be all across the board MLB, not, not all Yankees. Okay. But... Perfect. So we're crumbling each paper.
1: I'm like the Knicks. I got screwed in the lottery again here. I'm the last. Where's an
0: envelope? (laughs) These are all temperature controlled pieces of paper, by the way. So we don't have to worry about any any tampering like that or any conspiracies afterward. And then James. Okay. Put it in the jar, shake it up. Here we go.
3: Oh, I thought we already picked. My bad.
0: (laughs) We didn't. So whoever, didn't whoever's name comes up right here, they are going to have say where they want to pick. Yeah, in this draft. no, I got it now. And the first pick goes to David.
1: Oh, I spoke too soon. Nice. <laughs> All right. David, where do you want to pick? One of one, right? Okay, let's go. Right. Okay. Uh...
0: So David is first overall.
1: First overall. And... Oh, the
0: next will be Dan Rourke. Where I'm do you it. want to pick? Uh,
2: one, two, I guess. Is that how it works? So you do second like, overall. Yeah, that's how I, th- I thought. That's just how it. Okay. Worked. Yeah. Well, second overall.
0: Okay. Yeah. Should we, James? Should we tell him the the strategy? And I
2: don't know. Well, if I mean, Dan, you can. Maybe, maybe go... I'm not as smart as you. Are. I thought it was just. No, no.
4: Well, no if you no, no. want to, if you wanted to go fourth, that way you go fourth and fifth kind of wrap around you had a
2: couple of questions
0: about that so
1: i wanted to make sure
2: all right well no i appreciate that i'll take the fourth and the fifth then thank you james okay all right yeah well, no. no thank yeah. you for letting me <laughs> i should have done my homework
1: yeah no inverted order in the second yeah, round. And, <laughs> anyone who
4: does uh fantasy drafts you know football yes. or baseball kind of the the first pick goes like this and then the next round the person who picks around the first pick in the next one That way it's a little more fair. That way you end up in the the back.
0: No, and Dan, I'm kind of happy you changed your selection because I drew the next selection, and I'm Mm. going to take the second overall pick. So I'll be in that two spot. And James, sorry,
4: I I don't know if there's any. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's. There's only four of us, so it seems like it's. uh, Yeah. uh, It'll be pretty fair all around.
0: Totally. All right. Um, we will have 45 seconds on the clock for each pick. By no means do you have to take all 45 seconds. And uh, let's begin, guys. Here we go. The tone of the slab pitch draft starting right now. David, you're on the clock.
1: Well, in the with the first selection and the first overall pick, I am going to select in the fastball category for a starting pitcher, Corbin Burns's cutter. Could have bet the. Could have bet your house on this being Cody's pick. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, with the, uh, with the second overall pick, I am going to take Garrett Cole's four seam fastball. I think it's a pound for pound top four seamer out there. Tons of spin, lots of rising action, like we know. And this is where we, uh, you get into maybe a little bit of strategy with thinking ahead to 2022. Thought about Jacob deGrom, but Garrett Cole and for all intents and purposes right now, pitches a full season going to feel better going there.
4: Fair enough. Um, I will uh, go with a little bit of a chalk pick. And uh, now that Justin took Cole's four-seamer, I'll go with the grounds four-seamer.
2: So the fastballs are flying off the board. All right, so this is where the four and the five comes into play, where right? I get the next two picks? Yep, you have the next two. All right, well, I'll go fastball first. And since you guys took all those off the board, I'll go Tyler Glasnow's fastball. Mm. and for my next, now i can just i should know the rules better i can just go to any either curveball changeup slider for my next pick correct yeah, yeah. or relievers as as
1: too. Yeah.
2: okay all right now,
0: so hold on me... really really quick dan i just 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 to just before we move forward that picks yeah. in tyler glass now is now part of the yeah. dan Rourke run. so tyler glass now is also coming back from surgery
2: correct oh that's right he is so still out for the going 20- Two through 2022
0: run prevention i don't think he's gonna you know he may not miss the full season
2: no i totally forgot keep about that, that
0: in and mind we'll be we all-star
2: break at least so all right that's in there then so i already i kind of bit myself in the foot that's i'm playing the game fairly here we can't take that away all right my next pick will be i'll go with lucas giolito's change up mm. next, my next pick you're going Solid.
4: now glass now is so nasty that he can put up a hell of a lot of value just in and if he comes back in June, I think I think you'll still be in good shape there.
2: Yeah. Make make me feel better, James. Thank you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, he's there. He's he's I mean, I'm on my draft boards. He's there. He's just, uh, you know, not at the top because of that reason.
2: Yeah. You know what it is? I wanted to pick fastball first. He was a lot. He was my fourth guy on there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, not he's, he's good enough. I'll, I'll still bank on it.
4: Right on. All right. So I get it wraps back around to me. So I am going to go with. Um Charlie Morton's curveball.
0: Very nice pitch. That was on my list. Yep. Same here. Third and curveball usage last season. All right. I am going with hmm. I'm going into the slider category. And I will be taking friend of the program, Robbie Rays sweeping slider
1: mm. very nice
0: I think okay. he continues to have that magic going out into the pacific northwest
1: big jump last year for that guy wow Cy mm-hmm. young award winner looked like a different pitcher on the mountain last year so that that runs to me again right my second right. pick. yeah yep. okay uh with my second pick i'm going to go with uh, in this in the alternative category the change up splitter category i'm going to go with kevin gaussman splitter 137 average against last year on that pitch.
0: You have another pick, David?
1: Uh, Let's see here. Okay, okay, yeah, you're right, doubling up. Um, I'm going to go on the slider category. I'm going with Max Scherzer's slider. I was
4: waiting on that. Good pick. Sniped. Scherzer, 49% swing and miss rate on that slider.
0: Scherzer's like the guy who... I was making an argument to put in my top five of almost every pitch category. And (laughs) it wasn't, it wasn't a lot of work to deuce that, but you're like, I I want a Max Scherzer pitch. Where am I going to take it? Um, All right. So with myself on the board, again, 2022 run value. So there's a little bit of projection sprinkled in here or a lot of projection sprinkled in here, but I am going with, a changeup and i am taking sandy alcantara's changeup of the miami marlins it's a, a changeup that averages in the low 90s big ground ball rate and i think he is going to make people realize that he is a top of the line ace i'm going to use the a word with sandy alcantara and i think he's going to make people use that word with him in 2022 it's only getting better with with sandy
4: He's fantastic. And uh, I was, I was looking at his fastball too, uh, when we were going through the fastball, uh, the fastball picks, but uh, he's a stud. And yeah, I think you're right. It's a breakout year and they have some great pitching down there in Miami. So you're down for Alcantara's changeup, which means I'm next. Uh, So I will go with. um, A Lance McCullers slider, Lance McCullers slider, a new pitch for him and it had minus 14 run value. Excellent. Uh, only 150 batting average against and seven inches of break more than the average slider. And it's a brand new pitch for him. So
1: I'm, uh, I'm thinking big things out of, out of McCullers this year with that pitch. Great pick. And that's kind like, of a trend in the industry too, is, is pitchers are shaping their pitches with the new technology, the high-speed cameras, the Rapsodo machines, the shape of pitches. It's kind of the buzzword in the industry is trying to get it to sweep more you know, more horizontal movement. And that's that
2: That was maybe one of the best ones in the game last year. McCullough was great pick. Back to well, me. Dan Back for, to Dan, Dan for two, for two picks. Two. All right. And, like, I know my glass note pick definitely was risky, and you guys might think this one is risky, too. I really don't. I'm taking Jacob DeGrom. Nobody's picked Jacob DeGrom's slider yet, correct?
4: No, I took no. the fastball. It's not. Easy pick. Easy so, pick. I you, think you guys
2: are a little too hesitant with DeGrom, to be <laughs> honest. I mean, he's expected to be healthy come opening day and all, right? So,
1: yeah, absolutely. You
2: know, so, I think that might be – that's an easy pick, yeah. And it to
1: doesn't the Grom and Scherzer.
2: Yeah, yeah. I only get one pick though, right? That was only yeah, but... the first time around where I got two in a row, correct? No, right. no, no, no. It's, oh, this that's, that's a whole Keep taking around. Yeah. yeah. All right, so I'm gonna bring it over to the lever reliever side of things, and I'm gonna take my boy Sinker, Clay Holmes's mm. Sinker, and look at that. A little hot take while we're on the topic. I think he's gonna be a top three at the least reliever in baseball this year. So put that out there.
4: He was a monster yeah. coming over here last year and got a lot of big outs and the Yankees were playing in way too many high leverage games and, and he <laughs> yeah. kept getting it done. So he was very
2: impressive. He's the man.
4: Okay, so, all right, I'm up and I'll I'll jump into the reliever category two now and I'm going to go with Devin Williams, airbender, the airbender changeup. Uh, I don't know how batters hit 161 against it. Uh, that's very good. But every time I see him pitch, or if you are scrolling on Twitter and see uh, the Pitching Ninja uh, videos of his airbender, he, that's one pitch that makes you go, how does anyone ever hit this ball? Uh, so that's going to be my first uh, relief offering uh, off the board with uh, Devin
1: Williams' airbender. It's an incredible pitch. You know, if you ever, you know, generally speaking, a changeup or a splitter or an off-speed pitch doesn't have the same spin rate as you would a fastball. Devin Williams' airbender changeup has tight spin. It's incredible. A really incredible spin rate, almost like a four-seam fastball spin rate. Uh, just a remarkable pitch. Very unique. He's a unicorn, without a doubt.
0: Relievers are going to start flying off the board here, I feel. I think everyone has that one pitching category that they're like, "Yeah, I could save that later. I like some my, my multiple options, but the relievers are going to be flying off the board. So with that, I am taking Josh Hader's fastball. Hmm. I think one of the best pound-for-pound pitches in the game. Big-time velocity. Big time spin. Comes at you from a funky angle. Left side. I'm taking the haters heater.
1: Yeah, the deception from that pitch really is the X factor for him. All right, so
4: Coney is up for two picks.
1: Yes, okay. Uh, in the starting pitcher category still, in the curveball, I'm going to round out my, uh, my arsenal here. I'm going with Joe Musgrove's cool. curveball. Excellent under-the-radar pick. Yep. So
4: Musgrove, 116 average against and the combination Kony, you know, this. so the spin 88th percentile in spin rate. So he's got elite spin there and he's got movement, not just horizontal, but vertical. So it's, it's dropping and breaking. He's got about four inches more break on his curve and he's got about five inches more drop than the average curve. So it's a devastating combination.
1: And now my starters are done. So I go, I got to go to the relievers now and, uh, Hater certainly was big. That was a big pick. Uh, So was Clay Holmes. And so, you know, what I'm going to pick here is I'm going to pick in the fastball category, Liam Hendricks, four-seed fastball. There you go.
3: Okay.
4: All right. As long as it's not being thrown to Aaron Judge. (laughs) Yes, exactly.
0: (laughs) Um, Let's see. Liam Hendricks was tempting. Mm. I don't, I I mean, he's not, he's not old. I'm I'm hesitant of his age, but he was right there with with haters fastball. I was deciding between there.
1: Yeah. In terms of run value last year. Yeah. And then moving forward, we'll see how it goes.
0: All right. All right. I am going, I'm staying in the bullpen. I'm going with a slider. So I'm going to have a nice fastball slider combo haters fastball and the slider of Camilo Duvall from the Giants. Kind of broke out in 2021. Pretty nice control of a really nice chase pitch. Think it plays up a fastball. So when you pair it with that fastball from Hater, a lot of my virtual hitters that don't exist, they're gonna look really foolish, guys.
4: <laughs> Sounds good. So uh let's see. I'm up. Uh I can go with a relief fastball, or I'm gonna go, I am gonna go with a reliever uh, fastball here. I am going to side with, uh, Jonathan Lewis sinker minus Devastate. 14 run value yeah. coming in at 98, 69% ground ball rate. Very nice. And, uh, I feel like with that, with the airbenders,
1: uh, about as good as you can get, uh, coming in out of the pen. Yeah, him and Clay Holmes back to back. I mean, if you're Aaron Boone, you're like, ah, we we actually called the game. I remember I looked back at James and I go, what he's gonna take out Loaiza with a nasty 99 mile an hour sinker and bring in Clay Holmes who has a nasty 99 mile an hour sinker. You so go. you're in, you're in Boone. That, that's a, those are nice choices to have. Yeah.
2: All right, Dan, you're up for two. Dan, your last All two right. picks. Back to me for two. All right, Yes. Yeah. So to finish off my reliever side, and I know I said I wouldn't be Yankee boy, but I'll keep that with the starters. I'm going to go with Rawlins Chapman, and his, I'm going with his splitter, just for the fact that when he does throw it, like it is one of the nastiest pitches in baseball. And I, it's something that actually frustrates me Definitely. sometimes with him is that like, what I've seen, I think I read it somewhere, is that like when he doesn't feel it in warmups, he just eliminates it entirely from his arsenal. So if it's almost when he throws it, I think, it, and Dave, I think you might agree with this. I think it's one of the nastiest pitches in baseball when he, when he really had that splitter on. So I'll bank on him having that and like the combination of, you know, a Clay Holmes sinker and then a Rollis-Chapman splitter is pretty...
4: Great awesome. value for a, for a late round pick. Batters were one for 33 against Chapman splitter with 28 strikeouts. Yeah. And they swung and missed 67% of the time they swung at it. The only hit was a Vlad Guerrero Jr. opposite field dunker single. Against that splitter, absolutely ridiculous pitch.
2: Let's go, perfect. All right, and to uh I guess this is my last pick. I got to fill up the curveball category for starter. I'll go with Jose Barrios's curveball. Even though seeing him succeed will probably bring me pain, but I think it's a good pick.
1: It's a good one. It's a good. Yeah. He's always had a good one. That's been yeah. like bread and bread and butter for a while.
2: I wanted him so bad at <laughs> the trade deadline, yeah. but. Great, 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 great uh, extension yeah. by Toronto too. They oh, got yeah. him,
1: they traded for him and they, they didn't let him get away.
2: Yep.
4: All right. So I'm up for my last pick. I got to go in the starter, change up, splitter category. I am going to, I was thinking about taking, I'm going to take Shohei Otani's splitter. Do I get there to have him? Go. Do I get to have him in my lineup too?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, we're, uh, we're just doing pitching. This is the pitching
4: uh, podcast. So. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go Otani's splitter, 087 opponent average. 49% whiff rate and strikeouts on 57% of the plate appearances against that pitch uh, going with the MVP and a split finger.
0: All right. Need to round out my staff with a curveball. and man, this is tough. I want to go with a, a, a good pitcher on the rise or a guy winding down also equally good, but winding down. And I think I am going to go with our first ever guest on towing the slab it's Mr. Adam Wainwright, Uncle Charlie. Give me that curveball. It's a lock for durability. Even, even when he's winding that career down, I'm going to take an Adam Wainwright's curveball here with my final pick.
1: It is one of the best curveballs in the history of the game, in my opinion, You know, for a starting pitcher, just the, the shape of it. It's beautiful. It's a true curveball, right? Big looping curveball, beautiful to watch at the game, beautiful to watch on TV, great guy.
0: And this is it. This is Mr. Irrelevant coming up, right? The Mr. Irrelevant of pitches. Final pick of the final round?
1: This is it. I've got a reliever on the off-speed side. I'm going in the curveball category and maybe a sleeper pick, but uh, I'm going with James Karinchak, who has one of the nastiest curveballs I've seen. Just the style of it, the deception, the the quality of stuff on that pitch. So that's it for my relievers. I got Liam Hendricks' fastball and James Karinchak's curveball for my reliever.
4: Excellent. So uh, let's let's run this down a little bit. I'll, I'll go through uh, each of the, the staffs uh, again. So we'll go with Coney here. He's got uh, Corbin Burns' cutter, Kevin Gosman's splitter, Max Scherzer's slider, and Joe Musgrove's curve. That's pretty good. And then in the bullpen, uh, Liam Hendricks' fastball and James Karinczak' curveball. Uh, Justin, you've got Garrett Cole's four-seamer, Robbie Ray's slider, Sandy Alcantara's changeup, Adam Wainwright's curveball with Josh Hader's fastball and Camilo Duvall's slider uh, out of the pen. I've got Jacob DeGrom's four-seamer, Charlie Morton's curve, Lance McCullers Jr.'s slider, and Shohei Otani's splitter. I think I win. Uh, <laughs> with Devin, I like those
0: last two With pictures. Devin
4: Williams' airbender and Jonathan Loisiga's sinker. Uh, a little bit of a high-risk, high-reward with guys like DeGrom and Otani in there, but I like it. And Dan rounding it out. Your uh pitches: Tyler Glass now's fastball, Lucas Giolito's changeup, Jacob Degrom's slider, Jose Barrios's curveball. Then you you wave in the right-hander, uh Clay Holmes, sinker, and Aroldis Chapman's splitter. Ooh. Uh Looking at these <clears throat> pitches, looking at looking at this draft board, the 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 great pitching in the sport right now is off the charts, guys.
0: Great, and there are so many people that I kind of feel guilty, or I wanted to like make a a smart under the radar type of move that just didn't even come close to being an actual possibility because there were so many chalk picks and no brainers. But, uh, but yeah, Dan, we gotta, we gotta tell Tyler Glass now, who's, you know, obviously a co-host on the Rose rotation. He's gotta, he's gotta speed things up now for
2: 2022. Yeah. And that part of what makes me feel less bad about my pick, you know, he's a coworker. So like, you know, I'm being, I'm being nice. David, I will say, and I feel bad because you're hyping up all my picks. Karen Chuck, isn't there a little bit of a risk? Wasn't he not good post spider tack Wasn't there a little bit of a... a
1: little I, heard, bit. I, I heard
2: some things that, you know, he might not have too good of a grip. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's part
1: of it too, but I, I just think the shape of his curveball yeah. is, is less impacted. You know, most of the spider tack stuff was, was for forcing seam fastballs that gave you yep. the lift. You know, the hardest thing to do with a baseball in your hand is to make it ride and, and lift a little bit, the illusion of riding. Uh, but I think it's curveball. Uh, you yeah, know, To me, it's a it's a unique pitch. So we'll see. Yeah, it's possible. You're right. But I, I love the deception and the shape of his curveball.
2: You probably know more about pitching than I do. So,
1: no, that's, <laughs> uh, yeah, we're still figuring this out, right? We got two different baseballs being used. We got Spider tack. We got yeah. things that uh, you, know, you got to get ahead of the curve here. It's hard to keep up.
2: Yeah.
0: Speaking of two different baseballs, that leads us into this week's guest. And it was a terrific conversation with Dr. Meredith Wills, who is an astrophysicist who has worked on some NASA funded projects in the past, but she's currently a a sports data scientist and more specific to us and what we're interested in here. She's literally a baseball construction expert. She rips open baseballs and she studies everything there is to know about what lies beneath the seams under the cover of the baseballs. And there's a little bit of context before we want to start talking with with dr wills so on november 30th right before the lockout uh, bradford william davis who's a reporter for business insider he published a story that along with dr wills's findings revealed that major league baseball used two different baseballs during games this past season there was a lighter ball that didn't travel as far as a heavier model so the league acknowledged that they admitted that the this was true. They said it was due to the supply chain shortages from COVID-19. But this is where it gets interesting because Dr. Wills discovered that that was not the case. That a heavier ball prone to travel further was also manufactured between January and October of this year. So that these heavier balls, they, they were new. They weren't left over from prior seasons. And now it is also thought of that, you know, with the lockout, it's all pretty nebulous. We're not sure what to make of it all. There's a lot of uh, room, kind of open to speculation. We don't like to do that, so we we go to the source, right? We go to Dr. Will's. Couple things, though, to note here: the two baseballs that were used, they both met specifications, but there were small differences, right? That that those small changes can have a large effect on how the balls travel. We want to know why this happened. We're not hearing from the league about it. We're not hearing from the Players Association about it either. We didn't get an official statement from them. So Dr. Will's been around the baseball industry. And I know, David, you're a big fan of her work going back several years now.
1: Yeah, she is brilliant. Uh, she is a baseball fan. Uh, she's also a knitter. I mean, a highly educated astrophysicist is also a knitter. And that's actually how she got started in this. Is She found out that they used almost 10%, 9% less thread in the seams back in 2018. When she first started dissecting the baseballs, trying to figure it out, and the home run binge that James uh, Smythe has told us about and the surges over the last five or six years. So, yeah, you know, that, her knitting background, ironically, is what really kind of got her started in this. And then, obviously, the recent story that we're going to get into her with, with her is uh, two different baseballs used. And uh, you know, How do you know if you're pitching? Do I, have, do I have the ball that flies or the ball that dies in my hand before I throw the slider? I mean, that, that can mess with your head a little I bit. I was now. just going to say, that must
0: <laughs> eat pitchers up knowing that there are two different baseballs right there. But yes, knitting plays a big part in all of this. And we're going to learn about that. Without further ado, it's Dr. Meredith Wills joining us here on Toe in the Slab, pitching with David Cohn. Dr. Wills, thank you so much for joining us here on this week's episode. We have a lot to get to, but you have something that you, you want to get off your shoulders here to, to David Cohn, right at the top. <laughs> so the floor is yours.
3: Okay, yeah. So um, my memorable moment with with david is that i missed his perfect game and living in montana at the time we literally flew out to new york for that series so i grew up a yankees fan and the one game of the series that we chose not to go to turned out to be his perfect game to the point of we were sitting in mickey mantles it was on i think the rain delay at that point was on in the background and they were talking about oh yeah it's perfect and therefore it couldn't continue to be because of the way stuff gets cursed And in the end, I ended up, I believe the sole of my shoe came off as we're wandering around Manhattan. So I'm sitting here, wandering around Manhattan, trying to find a new pair of shoes instead of being at the perfect game. We went to the rest of the series, but not that one. And so I will spend the rest of my life kicking myself for that. It may also have been why it was perfect, by the way, because had I been there, it wouldn't have happened.
1: (laughs) Yes, that, that is remarkable. Yeah, you, these shoes are, make, are made for walking,
3: right? You got to have shoes. Well, so. these weren't, unfortunately, <laughs> is the problem. <laughs> yes,
1: that is funny. It's a great story. Thanks for sharing. The Mickey Mantle Sports Bar,
0: also, for uh, a whole generation that is unaware, there used to be a bar in Midtown and other places, too. There were small, small other branches around the tri-state area, this Mickey original Mantle's original. Restaurant. Yeah, yeah there was it was the original. It
3: was in the basement of, of Park Plaza, right? Yes, yeah. yes.
0: All right, Dr. Wills, um, we you know we, we wanted to have you on, obviously, the, the recency with the story with Business Insider, but with the lockout going on, we're not hearing so much about what has happened. But the first question that I need to feel like I have to ask, and I'm doing it out of pure ignorance, because I kind of feel like a lot of our listeners would also be as surprised as I was when I found out that baseballs are made individually by hand. There is no state-of-the-art production line. Uh, where where every single ball is manufactured equally. So my question here, as we get rolling, why are we still making baseballs by hand? Like, how are we how are we sending private citizens into outer space, but we still choose to make baseballs by hand?
3: Well, um, in fact, the entire baseball is not actually made by hand. Um, by the way, I, you will notice I have show and tell because you can't talk baseballs without show and tell. So, yes. first of all, this is a baseball from September of this season. Um, This is not, but they do look the same on the inside. So if you have a friend with a band saw, you can do this. This is not (laughs) how I take apart baseballs, by the way. I do have my own disassembled ones. Um, If you'll notice everything on the inside of these is actually really pretty uniform. You know, the pill is made with an injection mold and the yarn is wound around the outside. In fact, like I said, show and tell. you get something like this and this is made on a machine. So uh, every time you see these layers, they really are basically the same because the machine ends up tripping when the layer gets to a certain weight. Now it does get checked. The weight gets checked by a human being to make sure it's correct, but then it goes on to the next machine, et cetera. The one part that does get done by hand is putting the covers on. And the reason that's the case is because, uh, okay, research assistant number one, Axel, say hi to the world.
0: If you are on our YouTube stream, you're getting a real treat this week. Sorry. So make sure yeah, that there, you are watching on the YouTube stream.
3: So I apologize. Yeah, this is a very visual show. No, it draws um,
0: listeners in. They have to go to another platform. This is, this is the right. business.
3: There we go. But um, yeah, so, so it turns out that actually putting the stitches in for the baseball, with the seams is not something that anybody has figured out and that's the cat uh, brushing up against the uh, the camera so it's not me it is him uh, these stitches can't be put in in a way that's economically viable except by hand i do not know if there is a patent on machines to do this but every single baseball in the world every um every little league ball, every one that you buy as a souvenir, even if it's really, really crummy, is done with these, like it's all done by hand, particularly for the laces and the covers. Uh, I have actually looked at some Olympic balls and it turns out that the winding on the inside is much prettier than this. So there are better ways to do that automated process on the inside, but the outside is stitched by hand, even at the very most advanced levels. So, does that help?
1: Yeah, the stitch. Yeah, absolutely. The stitching part kind of brings uh, us to the beginning of when I first, you know, I heard of you on Twitter and reached out to you. But your original discovery of the thread mm-hmm. to me was just remarkable. You you broke the code here. You broke the case, and you basically <laughs> almost broke the internet with your discovery. And you know, it's amazing because you're obviously. You know, a doctor, highly educated, but you're also a knitter. So you took, a, you took apart the baseballs and you found out that they were using pretty significantly less thread, which obviously uh, affects the drag on the baseball and whether the baseball carries or not. So mm-hmm. can you take us back to the beginning? What, what, yeah. what, what made you do that? Uh, you know, and then, then how did you discover that?
3: Wow. Well, but there's mm-hmm. a long, no, oh, I mean, but I go back to the very beginning, because uh, you know everybody loves the, the doctor and the astrophysicist part. Um, I was actually born on opening day. And my dad was convinced that I was like going to do something really important in baseball. He bought me a baseball bat the day I was born. It was also the day that Hank Aaron tied Babe Ruth's home run record. So it was really this auspicious day, especially because he'd grown up in Milwaukee Braves fan. Uh, so I mean, big deal. So like, I was literally born into this, you know, I got into science. You know, became an astrophysicist in college. But yeah, the crossover with the science and obviously the baseball. And then I do, in fact, I made the sweater. I didn't even realize that there you go. <laughs> so see, this way you got the visuals. Um, it turns out that when, uh, if you remember in 2017, you know, when we had that first home run surge, I don't know how many people remember there was home Yes, run I surge know, the years are flying by, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, just the ball, the ball was not actually as weird in 2017. It's gotten weird mm-hmm. since then. But uh, at the time we didn't know what was causing it. And a lot of people forget that. Like now it seems obvious that it was the ball, but at the time, you know, people, some people thought, you know, maybe it was the bats, maybe the players were juicing again. Uh, my favorite explanation was actually climate change because they're like, oh yeah, you know, it's getting warmer and therefore the ball might travel farther or something, said, mm-hmm. sorry. Uh, I think it's funny myself, but, (laughs) um, but yeah, MLB commissioned this, this really, you know, high-end study with a, you know, there were 10 scientists on, on the the panel for their, their home run committee. And they wrote, I want to say it's an 83 page report, which I mean, I love it's, it's not, it's probably not for the faint of heart, but it is Mm -hmm. interesting. And um, they ended up discounting every single one of those theories except that the ball was traveling farther. And in particular, the drag on the ball, basically how quickly it slows down in the air, it wasn't slowing down as fast as in previous years. Um, I had already been looking at the ball uh, because there had been, particularly I was thinking between the dead ball and the live ball era. And if you guys, a lot of people in baseball have heard this story that one of the reasons we transitioned from the dead ball to the live ball era, at the time the commissioner said, oh, it's because it was after World War I and they switched back to using this higher end wool in a fork for the yarn from Australia, Australian Merino. And that that was why the ball was, was flying more. Every person I have ever talked to in baseball thinks that this is an outrageous reason. You know, There's got to be a reason it was juiced as a knitter. I can, there's a reason that we use, you know, merino versus Lester versus, you know, mohair versus um, alpaca, whatever. I mean, obviously I'm listing yarns. The point is they do behave differently. They hang differently. They're springy in different ways. I absolutely buy that using different yarn would make the ball travel differently. You know, why not? Otherwise we'd all use the same kind of wool, right? (laughs) Um, But knowing that that difference on the inside you know, seemed to lead, you know, was one of the transitions from dead ball to live ball. I thought, okay, maybe the yarn on the inside might be part of what was causing this this difference. Um, I took some baseballs apart from before the home run surge and then during. And um, in fact, I didn't find it was the yarn. What I did find, yes, everything is show and tell, is uh, it turns out that the laces, for the, um, the home run balls or the, the 2017s were thicker. And they were, was only a fraction, I mean, like a 10th of a millimeter, tiny, tiny number, but enough that I could measure it. And in fact, I even used a method for measuring lace thickness that you tend to use if you do knitting or weaving or something, but wouldn't occur to most scientists, I think. And uh, even it was a fract- tiny fraction of a millimeter, it was still like a 9% difference, which is a lot. And what looks to have happened, and I'm actually now looking at historical stuff, so I think it might not just be 2017. You know, I'm finding, like, if you've actually looked at home run numbers over the years, I think this may be a legitimate thing. You know, once, once the ball stops changing, I'm going to get to do this study. Mm-hmm. But uh, it looks like thicker laces, I think they keep the balls rounder, and a rounder ball seems to travel better. Uh, I I mean, I'm finding that they're keeping the balls rounder, but it also seems to correlate, certainly in this case with the home run numbers, but it also might've done that in the past as well. So, you know, it's not something anybody has thought to look at. And my forte over the years has become the baseball construction itself. And what I'm discovering is that these, in some cases, very subtle changes seem to have um, have led to differences, but since 2017, we haven't just seen subtle changes. We've actually seen dramatic ones. Uh, and, and, you know, starting with MLB, you know, when this Home Run Committee report came out in 2018, MLB announced around the same time that they had purchased a portion of Rawlings and that they were you're basically going to be involved in production, control production. Um, the rest of... of Rawlings is owned primarily by one of the owners of the Padres. And so, you know, even if MLB doesn't own the majority of it, they do call the shots. And, you know, after that, we have the 2019 ball, which really was different. Um, It it turns out that it looks like it was just uh, dried differently. It was finished differently, Um, which makes sense because it was also the first year that they made AAA balls as the same as major league, and you're making like an additional 50%, that's a lot of baseballs. You know, I mean, it's like from 1.2 million to 1.8 million. So yeah, maybe speeding up how you dry the baseballs, normally it takes days and days to air dry a baseball. So it looks like they basically threw these in a tumble dryer. In fact, I have discovered that if you want to make your own 2019 baseball, take a baseball, soak the outside, throw it in the dryer for 45 minutes with some towels, Interesting. I discovered by accident, I'd love people to try it and post videos. It'd be awesome. Uh, it's not something that I've really put out there yet, mostly because it's like this little vignette. But yeah, it turns out you can basically create a 2019. <laughs> and so there was that, there was the fact that in, you know, so first we get that weirdness of, you know, yeah, we're, by speeding production up, they create a ball that's very, very different. It then looks like they might have run out or run into production issues, such that they then use two different baseballs for the first time in the 2019 postseason, and those, and I guess we'll get into cryptography at some point, batch codes. Yeah, it's all visual, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, the baseballs actually have batch codes on the yeah, inside. Yeah, they do, they do. Yeah, it's like a serial to, number, essentially. Yeah, yeah, allow you It to is, it is yeah. but yeah. it's still cryptography, you know, yeah. and obviously when you think baseballs, you think cryptography, right? Right. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> this, this past season though, yeah. you're, you you discovered that they were using, you know, two different types of baseballs. One, uh, one lighter baseball that mm-hmm. was announced was going to be used. And then the heavier ball from years past. And when you weighed the center of the new baseballs that were incorporated this season, they weighed and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, 124, 125 grams, the older balls were roughly 127 grams. Mm-hmm. So what could a difference of just those two grams mean for how the ball performs?
3: Well, um, I guess, first of all, it's actually a little more complicated than that and in a way that's bizarre, frankly, because when we've talked about old balls and new balls, it's not that the balls that are old are physically old, it's just that the balls that are old are using the kind of specifications for the, the internal part. When I say center. The center is this wound portion. It's not like, it's not, it's not the pill or the core. Mm -hmm. It's literally the whole wound bit, everything but the covers. Um, When I've used the term old, it's basically what the center is like for every baseball that was made before September, 2019 for a major league baseball, or at least every baseball I've looked at, which is going back to at least 2000. They're all the same weight, which is around 127 grams. Uh, starting in September of 2019 and for the 2020 season is when they made these, you know, which is interesting because I did find two balls used in 2020 as well. But when that report came out, we were hitting COVID. So it kind of got buried, understandably, I suppose. Uh, the, um, what ended up happening was when I found, particularly the 2020 had two baseballs, If you remember, there was a memo that was sent to GMs in February of this year, of 2021, that said, you know, oh yeah, basically, yeah, they had made two baseballs, which is the first time we've ever heard that. You know, we were floored. It's like, oh my God, they admitted they made two baseballs. Really? Uh, And they said, you know, when they told GMs, yeah, we're then going to use this new kind of baseball. So when I say new, it's just basically not like the ones that have gone back 20 years. Uh, and those new balls did have that lighter center. The reason MLB made them was so that they would not come off the bat as hard. Basically, they would be deader off the bat. And therefore, we would get fewer home runs because they just wouldn't be having as high exit velocities. They wouldn't travel as far. And that was the rationale for the change. Uh, as part of them being lighter, that uh, inner layer ends up being wound more loosely. This is a, there's actually three layers in here. And that most inner layer, it was, it's basically, the balls are about the same size, which is what's odd. So that would make sense that the inner layer is wound more loosely. And that then ended up squishing more against the bat. And so therefore it comes off the bat more slowly. So that was what MLB told GMs and was then leaked to the media. So they now call it an announcement. Uh, I don't know if a leak that ends up in the media is technically an announcement, but they've since been considered that. Um, and they said, they said, yeah, the balls we're going to use in 2021 are these new ones. The problem is that they weren't quite, and they kept making them for 2021 as well, the old ones, not just the new ones. They made two kinds for 2020 and 2021.
1: So, so the reasons they've given so far, and because of your work, this came to light, obviously, and, and now we're talking about it. Now you're here. It's great to meet you. Thank you, Thank you for your work, because as an old, old-time pitcher, I think it's so important. I mean, i made my living with a baseball in my hand, so I'm, I'm obsessed with what a baseball does, how to spin it, how to make it move, and then what it does when it's off the bat. And as a pitcher, you know, I, I always thought it didn't really matter what the baseball does as long as it's uniform. As long as all the pitchers on both sides are using the same baseball, it's okay. Okay, travels, uh, you know, you're going to give up more home runs or less or whatnot, as long as the other guys using the same baseball, but we can't really say that last year, right? Cause there was two different baseballs involved. We don't really know both baseballs fall within the specifications of, of the guidelines of major league baseball, which are enormously wide, I guess, if you could touch on that a little bit. So the major league baseball has cover because these balls fall under the specifications, but they act very differently from the top end of the spec to the bottom end of the spec.
3: Yeah. And in particular, and this is something I think that gets lost is it's not just that they act differently. It's that they were designed to act differently. So that that older one works one way. The new one was specifically designed to be better off the bat. It's not a fluke. It's not some kind of, you know, uncertainty or manufacturing, you know, as you're talking about the specifications and them being wide. Um, Yeah. In fact, the specifications part or maybe a better way to put it would be the tolerances within the rules because uh, yes. they are they are wide. You know, it's, it's a, a quarter of an ounce uh, or even a quarter of, a, of a, um, an inch around the outside is a lot. What I have come to wonder, just, you know, looking at enough baseballs is those are wide. And, and there's been complaints from people who've Studied baseballs, you know, like before me, uh, for a while about, you know, how come th- th- they're too wide? That that we need to be making baseballs that are more consistent. I have yet to see anybody go in and figure out if with the techniques that we're using, and if you you know, if you remember, I just said, yeah, the techniques that we're using, there are better ones than than what are being used right now if they actually could make baseballs that are more consistent than that quarter ounce or that quarter centimeter. I'm not convinced that that's the case, but nobody has even gone in and checked. They just said these have to be more consistent. And in fact, the 2019 actually was. The problem is that the more consistent baseball was really bad for actually playing baseball. So um, yeah, they kind of need to fix that.
4: I've got, some, uh, I've got some numbers to back up you know, the differences that you have uh, you're showing the home run rates uh, over the last decade or so. So in 2014, home run rates kind of bottomed out. Teams were hitting uh, 0.86 homers per game. By the time we got to 2017, it was 1.26, which is an increase of almost 50%, 47% jump. Uh, by the time we get to 2019, we have the highest home run rate in baseball history at 1.39 homers per team per game. That's a 62% increase from just five years earlier. And now with the with the somewhat deader ball, we did see home runs go down a bit um, over the last couple of seasons down to 1.22. But still, the top seven home run seasons of all time uh, on a per game basis are the year 2000, considered the height of the PED era and, and whatnot, and also the most recent six MLB seasons. So the the home run rates have gone through the roof around the same time as these changes to the ball.
3: Well, 2019, like I said, the ball was made very differently. And in fact, that's one reason that I was able to find a transition from 2019 to 2020 is the balls are just different. Like 2019 really is this aberration in how they were made. Um, What I find interesting, though, is 2017, 2018 goes back down. It's almost like they decided you know, if you go back far enough, and even with the PEDs, you'll notice there's, there's a couple of years where it goes up and then it levels off. Uh, that also happens to be right around when they moved the factory from Haiti to Costa Rica. I really want to look at that period because I have a feeling that manufacturing transition might have made a difference. They had to train all new workers. It is not easy to stitch a baseball. And so I can see it taking a couple of years before they got it down. And then you'll notice if you go back and look, the home run rates are actually pretty consistent in there for a while. They go up and down a bit, but it's, I guess I think there's more to it on the construction side. And I'm not sure had they not changed the ball in 2019, if it would have kept going up. Um, And in fact, even for 2021, the home run rates were still high, but they were around like 2017, which I think might have been due to that new baseball, uh, You know, despite the fact that MLB intended for the ball to come off the bat more slowly. It doesn't look like it did it that well. Uh, it, as far as I can tell, the balls, and this is, can you, t- like, I spend way too much time doing this on my own. I've also been looking mm-hmm. at humidity, like to the point of, I figured out how to make DIY humidors. So you too can have your own humidor. <laughs> In addition to making your own 2019 (laughs) balls, you know, I should just like have a whole, you know, how to in there somewhere for. But but yeah, it looks like the new balls respond very strongly to humidity. And in particular, when they were tested, they were only tested in a lab and they were only tested for that squishiness off the bat. So uh, nobody checked to see drag, to see how fast they were slowing down once they were airborne. And nobody looked at stuff outside of like in uh, essentially lab conditions so we never saw outside we never saw temperature and humidity that weren't in the lab and as far as I can tell everything outside the very least was drier and it turns out that less humidity these balls that, that more loosely wound part it looks like it kind of shrinks down um who here has their hair frizz when it's humid out anybody that would be me, yes. Okay, cool. <laughs> so, so yeah, you know how your, your hair flows when it, it gets yes. humid. And if it's less humid, it then flattens out. So a good way, wool does the same thing basically. With more humidity, it's gonna be able to frizz more and essentially maintain its shape. But once the humidity goes, that it looks like is actually squished the ball down so that that more loosely wound part is now hard again. <laughs> So you start, the stuff is now coming off the bat fast and the ball is lighter. A lighter ball is easier to hit harder anyway. And if it's already physically as hard, exit velocities in a lot of places went up, not down. And, and that, you know, they did find that the drag was higher. So the balls were slowing down in the air more quickly, but the exit velocities went up enough to compensate for that, hence 2017 numbers. <laughs> And it seems it seems to have been highly inconsistent. It's weird because like parks that had humidors seem to have behaved differently than parks that didn't. Time of year would have made a difference. Uh, The the best numbers that we had were actually from spring training, because you know it's localized, particularly in Arizona. Everything was you know all the conditions are the same. Uh, Ironically, the ball ended up less consistent as far as I can tell. The new one because they didn't really test it as thoroughly as they could have. So every change we're making, one way I've been thinking about this is that the best way to break something is to take something that's not, that's, that's just fine, that's not broken and try to fix it because you think it is. And it really feels like that's what they've done with the baseball is they decided it was wrong. And in every fix has sort of been making things worse.
1: So. Wow, that's great! That's a great way to put it. Simply put, right there. Uh, in the future, moving forward, uh, do you, are you looking for more baseballs to examine? What can we do to advance your work? What what what's next on your list? Do you, so if you had a Christmas list, what what you oh, want next? Uh, well, I'll
3: tell you, my my high end Christmas list, and, and 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 man, if you guys can help with this, it would be huge. I want some balls from the postseason. I would be really particularly because in twenty nineteen. They put two baseballs in. I want to see what the, you know, postseason. I don't trust it anymore is all. Like, I want to see what the deal is postseason. You know, that's, it's a big deal. Um, next year, for sure, though, I'm going to want regular season baseball because um, they did use tons of leftovers from, from 2020. You know, like a large, large percentage of the baseball, but not all of them. So it looks like we have... I'm not gonna say half, but a huge percentage of 2021s are probably still sitting in inventory somewhere. Uh, I would not be surprised if 2022 is using leftover 2021s, meaning we get two baseballs next year as well. I mean, what are they gonna do? Leave them on the shelves Um, or however they store them? Uh, Not to mention the fact that we still don't know what the manufacturing looks like. You know, When this article came out, um, manufacturing started in, I would say mid-August would be my guess. And that's actually when Rawlings said it would as well. There was stuff that came out in July. that said, yeah, transition was going to be in July or August. And I have baseballs, in fact, one over here that was made in August of 2021 that showed up in regular season. Um, but the, the article came out right at the end of November. And the way the manufacturing has worked when they've made two baseballs, that would have been, it's, it's actually been weird. It's like, they'll make that old baseball for a few months, then switch to the new baseball for about four months, and then switch back to the old one for the rest of the the rest of the calendar year. And they did this for 2020 and 2021. You know, this three-part thing, it doesn't make sense to me. I mean, why not just switch back and forth? Why do three parts? I mean, like a lot of, and why do a third of the new ball and the rest of the old ball? Especially for 2021, they like told us, "Yeah, we're going to use the new baseball, but only a third of them were the new baseball." None of this makes sense to me, by the way. I mean, this is just weird. Well, you know, but, the Yanke- yeah, the Yankees
1: are trying to figure that out too. You know, several of their hitters, have, you know, really kind of bottomed out on the slugging side, and uh, we're trying to figure it out: what's wrong and, with these and, hitters? And you know, maybe, maybe nothing's wrong with these hitters. You know?
3: Well, and and the Yankees actually are sort of being held up as the poster child of, you know, it does look like the new ball might have affected them. The problem is that I I can't tell one way or the other. I mean, I had a huge number for me. It was like, what, almost 170 baseballs just from the regular season. I've got a lot more than just that, but just the ones that I looked at from the regular season. That's like four times as many as my next biggest sample. So like any other season, the most I had was just over 40. So that's crazy that I had so many, and even then, I, it, by the time, you know, I mean, you're talking about 30 ballparks, you're talking about, what, 2,430 games, I think. Um, I have 169 baseballs. It's, you know, even one per game is going to be impossible. Uh, and yeah, there's, there's no way, you know, I did actually have a couple balls from the Yankees. They did turn out to be the new baseball. But a few baseballs from Yankee Stadium over the course of an entire season doesn't tell you a lot. So I can't tell if, you know, I had other parks where I knew there were old and new being used, but I don't get it over six months. The only way we can tell this is if Rawlings actually lets us know what they were sending. And they, they in 2019, MLB actually said, yeah, Rawlings is going to be tracking the balls all the way to the parks. So they should know where they went but they need to tell us. So we know too.
0: One last one before we, we let you go here. And this, like you mentioned, this article came out at the very end of November, right before the lockout. And we know that the players association didn't officially comment to the league's acknowledgement to your knowledge. Do you think this is something that is being discussed during CBA negotiations?
3: If it's not being discussed, I think it should be. I mean, I think it's it's incredibly relevant. Um, you know, as, as David mentioned, uh, you know, comparing is fine if everybody's using the same ball, but how in the world are you going to be able to evaluate a player's like their actual, essentially ability for anything on the field if you don't know what they're using? You know, we don't know if it was an even mix. We don't know if, you know, which balls were used in which games? We don't know. We don't know if some teams got most of one or most of another. We there's no way to do a valid comparison. And until that gets straightened out, um, right now MLB they're they've got everything. You know, they're they're running the factory, they're making the decisions, they're sending the baseballs. They're not telling us. Every single thing I've heard has been after the fact. And I'm the only one who's asking as far as I can tell. I mean, at the end of the season, and by the way, the COVID thing, no, it just, it doesn't work. You can't have made all of these baseballs for 2021 and have them showing up and claim that everything is a leftover 2020. It doesn't work that way. They wouldn't have had enough at the very least. But yeah, it's some kind of transparency has to come through or nobody who's who's negotiating for anything everything is stats everything is numbers there is no baseline for these numbers anymore and without a baseline how in the world can players be evaluated
0: It's well said very well said dr wills thank you so much for your time thank you for your work and this was terrific again if you haven't read the article go to business insider you can find it there and and
1: Bradford, right? Uh, you worked with
0: yes, Bradford. Bradford William, William Davis. Davis.
3: Is, yes. the, is the author. Fantastic, fantastic writer. Yeah. Yes. And he's got he's got some some truly fabulous interviews, including, by the way, getting a player to literally reproduce my results. So if anybody is concerned yes. about like the validity, I love the fact that we we've literally got a player to do this.
0: Yes, player approved. This it is, is player-approved approved, research. Yes.
1: Yes. And anybody with extra baseballs from the postseason, send them to Towing Lab. We'll get them to Dr. Wills and make sure yes. she gets, gets something to work with here.
3: And and by yeah. the way, uh, I can talk to these guys uh, in all seriousness. I There are ways that we can keep things totally anonymous. And I have had that before because I do understand that, you know, there have been repercussions. People are concerned about them. Uh, you know, MLB wouldn't be telling us after the fact if they didn't somehow think it was important to not tell us beforehand, or at least that's the way I've interpreted it.
0: So, it's player-approved research. It is cat-assisted research.
3: <laughs> Cat-impeded research.
0: Yes, yes. Dr. Wells, thank you so much, and uh, really happy that you're able to come out here and 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 be able to tell David where you were for his perfect game this is one of countless stories that i'm sure david has heard but this one nice little twist to it uh all coming all the way from montana catching two out of three they usually say two out of three isn't bad but um we're sorry
3: one of one of one of my very few regrets was missing that game i don't Thank have a you. lot but that's one of them i know what to get you for
1: christmas What size shoe you wear
3: <laughs> seriously <laughs> size, eight, size eight go for it <laughs> there you go, there you go.
0: <laughs> thank you so much Dr. Wills happy holidays to you
3: uh, see ya.
1: thank
0: you well, Dr. Wills has one of the more interesting stories that I've heard about where they were on your perfect game David what is the most outrageous story or the one that sticks out the most from a fan who said either I was at your perfect game or I had a chance and I missed out on going to your perfect game
1: there are several like that. You know, it was a weird day. It was a Sunday. It was the beginning of a series. You don't see series start out on a Sunday. We're facing the Montreal Expos. The opening series game was a Sunday day game. So, yeah, I've heard so many stories. Probably the best ones I've heard is that there was a, a father and son with uh, uh, their uh, brother and sister. They were in the car driving, and they actually pulled off the road just so they could listen on the radio to the last inning of that game because, they you know, they, wanted, they didn't want to be distracted. The father didn't want to drive. So, you know, those kind of things remind me it's not about – it's about families. It's about where you were. It's not, you know, I, I was part of it. Obviously, I threw a perfect game. But when something special happens in Yankee history, you remember where you were. You remember who you were with. Or it's a memory. It's a last great memory I had with my father or my grandfather who taught me the game. Those are the kind of stories that really kind of get to me and stay with me forever. It's
0: so true. Uh, I remember everything about, I know I said this uh, maybe on last week's episode, going to David Wells perfect game. Remember every minute detail about that day, not just what happened in the game, but the weather, the temperature, uh, you know, Carvel ice cream, everything. Um, But it's so true. It is about family and who you're with during those those moments that they become indelible. Um, Speaking of indelible moments, this week in baseball history, this is typically a very quiet week in the business, but James, you've uncovered something that has happened here this week in baseball history, or I should say, this week in pitching history here on Toe in the Slab. Uh,
4: I have. Uh, so this is dropping on December 21st on Tuesday, and that will be the 26 year anniversary of December 21st, 1995. Coney, do you remember that was the day that you signed with the Yankees coming over f- uh, from the midseason trade in 95? great down the stretch into the postseason you re-up with the yankees uh, as a free agent and this was the day december 21st uh that you signed with the yankees and i had read some contemporary reports from the time from our pal jack curry uh with the times then uh that
1: you were very close to signing with baltimore i was the negotiations fell apart uh the- for a minute there is uh, the Yankees kind of started to backpedal a little bit on the original offer. They made uh, Peter Angelos, the owner of the Orioles and Davey Johnson, my former manager with the Mets was the manager of the Orioles. So they made a pretty strong offer, but the Orioles were kind of that pitter pattering around about deferred money. You know, they really, uh, you know, really wanted to defer part of the contract and you know, what interest rate and whatnot. And that kind of hung up the negotiations and allowed my agent to call George Steinbrenner, who was at a payphone in front of a hospital Visiting a sick friend, and at the last minute, George said he put everything back on the table that he originally offered, and then a little bit more, and that's how the deal was done at a payphone from George Steinbrenner, uh, with, and my agent, and that's how the deals were done back then. You dealt directly with George Steinbrenner back then when you really wanted to get a deal done. And, uh, that's the way the Yankees operated.
0: What is it with the DC teams and deferred money?
3: And
1: I'm the Mets out. too. The Mets for a while too. The Bobby Bonilla day, as you know, which is kind of unfair to Bobby Bonilla. He could have taken that money and invested it. You know, it was a 5% interest rate, but everybody thinks, oh, the Mets are still paying Bobby Bonilla. Well, they, they're paying the money they owed him. You know, he could have got it way back when, and they did it because they thought they were going to make more money on the interest, on the deferred money. That that's a, It was a business decision on the Mets part. and you know, Unfortunately, the Mets were investing with Bernie Madoff back then, so you know the rest of the story. <laughs>
0: As the uh, the pantheon of deferred money in baseball. Uh, all right, hey, that was that was a very good holiday season for the Cone family there, nineteen ninety five. Uh, in the spirit of this week, with Christmas right around the corner, approaching some holiday time, you gather with family and friends. It is also the week of Festivus, if you're aware. And I realize there's a generation, probably our producer Dan, has. Maybe an inkling of what Festivus is, but for those who weren't grown up on Seinfeld, Frank Costanza's favorite holiday, Festivus, you are able to air your grievances publicly. So we're going to do a little twist there on Tone of the Slab this week, our three up, three down. We are going to air, each of us, our biggest baseball grievance for the great holiday that doesn't really exist in Festivus. So the spirit of Festivus here, James, what do you have? What's your grievance?
4: All right, I'll start things off uh, for the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problem with you people. Uh, No, but uh, I'm going to go into some well-trod territory, a hot-button issue for a lot of baseball fans. Uh, Seems like everybody comes down on one side or the other. I am a pro-Universal DH zealot. Uh, Sorry, Kony, I do not mean to offend uh, my friends who are pitchers, uh, but in the big leagues, we really ought to have a universal DH as we do at almost every level of baseball, other than the National League in the majors. Uh, this year, pitchers hit 110 with a 150 on base percentage and a 142 slugging percentage, striking out 44% of the time. Uh, it is long overdue. And for uh, MLB's pitching wide stats each year, uh, pitchers have been well below average hitters pretty much since the 1800s when pitchers started to become a, a specialized position. And Shohei Ohtani aside, I'm sorry. We're going to have to have a universal DH.
0: Very, very nice. So one out of three grievances aired. Uh, next one. And I thought about this because it was something that Miguel Rojas of the Marlins said on the Rose Rotation, he was asked about Max Scherzer rejoining the National League East, going back to the Mets. And we were talking about how he was young in his career. Whenever there was a absolute stud on the mound that day, he would draw the start. You know, the starters would get the rest. The manager would rest his, I guess, his A hitters, so to speak. So they didn't have to face the top notch ace on the mound. You're having a bench player who may have not seen action in a few days get that start there. It's it's nothing new, but it just conjured up some feelings of like, yeah, I you're right. That is something that really ticks me off. I don't think it benefits anyone. I think when you think about it, if you're the hitter, you get to the postseason eventually. Obviously, that's the rosiest scenario in a given season. You're going to be facing the best pitchers. There's no reason to shy away from them. There's no reason to protect them if you're the manager of the coaches, I think these are the times that you'd want to see your best hitters go up against some quality pitching. You can per- perhaps deduce do something from there and take it with you down the line. And I don't think it's also fair to that 24th or 25th or 26th man on each roster to be cold for maybe five days or so, and then have to go face Max Scherzer or the Mets coming up in 2022. So I have a problem with that and uh, I don't want to see it happen anymore. I don't think anyone's going to listen to me, but that is my, little airing of grievances.
1: I like it. What do you have? You know, I think, uh, you know, I'm going to stay in, you know, on topic. You know, we had Dr. Meredith Wills and talking about baseballs and two different baseballs used last year. Uh, You know, for me, you know, and the National is ties into the National League and the DH, you know, going by the wayside. And I remember, you know, if you're pitching a ballpark that gives up a lot of home runs Fenway Park, I pitched in Yankee Stadium. Everybody said, I can't pitch there. Oh my God, there's too many home runs given up or, you know, I, I can't, I can't pitch in the American league. You know, it's, it's tougher league. My ERA is going to go up, but yeah, your ERA is going to go up, but your run scored for you are going to go up too. As long as the, there's a level playing field that everybody's using the same baseball, that we're all playing by the same rules. Uh, both pitchers have to pitch in Penway Park or Yankee stadium. Both pitchers have to deal with the same exact issues, but now there's a little uncertainty. We don't know. Uh, Is the baseball in my hand that I'm getting ready to throw? Is that the one that flies or the one that dies? Is this the one that's going to take off a little bit or not? I mean, it creates a lot of uncertainty for pitchers, and that's my pet peeve. And that's something I preach my whole career to other pitchers. It's okay. You can pitch in Fenway Park. You just have to give up less home runs than the other guy. It's okay. Yeah, you have to prepare yourself. You're going to give up a few more runs. You're going to give up some cheap uh, home runs at Yankee Stadium to the porch in right field. It's okay. you got to factor that in because the other guy is too you know we both have to contend with the same elements the exact same same things and that that's in question now and that, that's a pet peeve of mine that, that undermines everything uh, for me as a pitcher in terms of mindset uh, of uh, whether it was inadvertent or not you know I don't know who's to blame maybe it's just a coincidence maybe it just happened uh, you know there's plausible deniability on the major league baseball side both baseballs fell into the, the spec range that, that's in the rule book so yeah, I get it I understand I'm not pointing the finger but what I am saying is that this whole story undermines credibility and feeds conspiracy theories and you know for me that's a pet peeve because you know I, I, I pride myself in dealing with whatever the elements were how tough it is to pitch it's okay I'm going to beat that other guy over there and now I don't know I don't know if uh, if that's the case anymore so it's something that needs to be dealt with the story's not going to go away and and certainly we need to learn more but the baseballs have changed so much over the last 10 years the home run rates have changed so much over the last 10 years. It's something to, to, to look at. Uh, it's not just one baseball. There's a couple of different designs out there, and uh, it needs to be rectified moving forward into the future.
4: It's a huge issue, and I'm surprised. Maybe the lockout has kind of swallowed up a lot of the oxygen around it. I'm surprised it hasn't gotten more play, um, that, it, that it's gotten uh, less play than it should. I mean, it's the it's a controversy over the last several years surrounding the piece of equipment in the game it's called baseball and now the baseballs are all out of whack uh it's a it's i think it's a big story
0: i think it is a is a big story i think unfortunately the timing of it allowed it to kind of go underground with the rest of the sport so i think that's why we haven't heard much from it because i know that the players union didn't officially comment about the league's acknowledgement that stood out to me but you're right i mean we've heard so much about how these balls travel off the bat man if i'm a pitcher and unless you can feel the difference of a couple of grams in your hand knowing that there could be more than one baseball in play that would drive me insane for sure yeah, especially maybe- with with every with pitchers especially being habits of, of, of routine and creatures of habit it's the phrase i'm going for i i, I would be paranoid to know it
1: Sure. On the hitter side, too. How do you evaluate Glaber Torres, you know, almost hit 40 home runs a couple of years ago and then, you know, I completely drop off. D.J. here, there's several hitters that are falling into that category as to, you know, how do you evaluate that? What happened? And you know, is it the baseball? How much of an impact that had on that? Uh, so certainly it's, it's hard to know what you're working with and you if you're a fan or your front office, how do you evaluate talent? How do you make decisions? You know, it, it impacts everything.
0: Absolutely. Guys, uh, anything else before we break for the holidays?
1: Not at all. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to everybody.
0: Yes. Happy holidays to everybody here. Uh, Thank you for tuning in as always. We we appreciate you giving us a chance here as we start the show in these last few months. It's been really appreciative and and thank you very much from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you for this episode. Thank you for uh, Dr. Meredith Wills coming on the show. Thank you to our great producer, Dan Rourke participating in the draft and doing a bang up job each and every episode. Uh, next week, if you're a Yankee fan, if you're into the minor league side of things, you're going to want to tune in. That's all we're going to say for now, but you want to be sure to rate review and subscribe as well. It's the best way to support the show here. Tell me the slab pitching with David Cohen this is a production of John boy media. Happy holidays, everybody. We will talk to you next week. Everybody enjoy.